If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. At Rural First, we're the leader in rural construction loans because we don't work here. We work out here. We live rural, which means we know just what you need to build rural. Our dedicated team of loan specialists works with you throughout the construction process. And with our digital tool, you can manage your project all in one place. That's how Rural First gets you closer to what matters. Rural First is a registered trademark of Farm Credit Mid-America. NMLS 407249. Equal housing lender. Loan subject to approval and eligibility. Other terms and conditions may apply. Visit RuralFirst.com for more details. If you've never experienced a summer in Washington, D.C., I would love to tell you about it. It gets hot, like really hot, and very humid. The city gets filled with men in seersucker suits who are pretending that the heat isn't getting to them. Now, I've spent most of my life in D.C. I was gone for a few years and just came back, and... I feel confident in saying that summer can be one of the toughest parts of that living in this city. But there is a place that I love that feels like an escape during the hot months. It's this lush, green wonderland that sits on the east bank of the Anacostia River in the northeast edge of the city. The Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens is a sanctuary. There are dozens of ponds that are filled with all kinds of lilies and lotuses. They're giant green leaves and strange seed pods sticking out over the water. The deeper you go into the park, the easier it is to forget that you're in a city at all. I like to sit by the water's edge and watch the dragonflies skim over the surface or bumblebees floating between the blossoms. Sometimes you can see a turtle peek their head out through the lily pads. There are places where the foliage gets so dense that it's hard to tell that there's water at all, which I learned the first time I came and I almost stepped straight into one of the ponds. Now, at first, I loved these gardens because they were beautiful they were a nice place to go on a summer bike ride. But then a few years ago, I learned how they actually came to be. There's an incredible history that starts with a one-armed Civil War veteran who loved aquatic plants. What started as this man's hobby eventually made him a fortune, but also saved the last tidal marsh in D.C., Walter B. Shaw was born on an island in Maine, somewhere where the landscape is made up of ponds and forests and wetlands, where it's filled with these water-loving plants, 
wild violets and bog orchids, and of course, water lilies. In 1863, when he was 24 years old, Shaw made his way south to fight for the Union Army during the Civil War. Not that long after, he was shot during a battle, and after having his right arm amputated, he was discharged from the military. He moved on with his life, taught himself to write with his left hand, found a job at the Treasury, got married, and had a couple kids. In 1879, Shaw bought 33 acres of farmland on the flats of the Anacostia River. On that property was an old ice pond, and Shaw had an idea. Every day, he would take the trolley home from his day job and spend his evenings cleaning out that old pond, something he once described as playing in the water. He had a dozen white water lilies shipped down from his parents' home in Maine, and that's where the gardens began. The white water lily is a floating plant. It has these round, bright green leaves and long-stemmed flowers that have rows and rows of pointed white petals all surrounding a bright yellow center. They're super fragrant when they're in bloom, with a smell that's fresh and sweet and a little lemony. With some careful tending from Shaw and a bit of help from his young daughter, Helen, those lilies took root in the little ice pond. Years later, Helen recalled that they grew so rapidly that they crowded their little pond. Shaw started digging more ponds. And remember, he was doing all of this by himself with just one arm. At night, he would paddle around the ponds in a canoe, navigating the growing lily pads, planting new tubers, and fighting off the turtles that hoped to make a meal out of their roots. He also started collecting exotic species from Asia and Africa and developing his own new varieties of lilies. He started selling his flowers to local florists, and pretty soon the hobby became way more profitable than his day job. In 1902, he quit his job as a treasury clerk and started the Shaw Lily Pond Company. With a small staff, he was able to expand into dozens more ponds, each one of them filled with these flowers. Eventually, he had more than 75 kinds of lilies and lotus. Some small, some big, every color you can imagine. Some of them only bloomed for a couple hours of the day, while others only opened up at night. When Shaw was in his 70s, his daughter Helen took over management of the gardens, and he focused on the work that he really loved, developing new varietals. Shaw died in 1921. I can only begin to imagine how many beautiful flowers surrounded him at his funeral. Helen kept running the gardens until 1938, when the government bought the land as part of an effort to preserve the neighboring marsh. But the flower ponds were preserved, and the following year, the Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens became part of the National Park Service. I still come to these gardens at least once a summer, when the ponds burst into glorious color. They're far enough away from the high-traffic tourist areas that they're still sort of a hidden gem. It's easy to admire the bigger, showier blooms, and you can still see some of the varietals that Shaw himself developed. 
but once you know his story, it's kind of nice to seek out those simple white lilies floating in the pond that Shaw dug himself. That was Michelle Cassidy, one of Atlas Obscura's Places editors that you just heard, and she was sharing the story behind the Kettleworth Aquatic Gardens. And summer is here, so if you are in Washington, D.C., take a walk down one of those lovely gardens full of lush flowers built by that one-armed Civil War veteran, Walter Shaw. Now, our next story will take us to Europe, where Jonathan Carey, who is also an editor on the Places team, will tell us about a building-sized painting of the 19th-century American abolitionist Frederick Douglass. Along Gilmore Street in Edinburgh, Scotland, a massive mural might catch you by surprise. I mean, it seems a little out of place, although it really couldn't be more at home. The mural is a black-and-white portrait of Frederick Douglass, famed black American abolitionist. I mean, we get probably between 10 to 20 entries a day. And, I mean, this one really stood out to me. I mean, I had no idea the strong connections that Frederick Douglass had to Edinburgh. In fact, not far from the mural is 33 Gilmore Place. It's a plain row house, and back in 1846, it was the home of a Scottish man named James Robertson, who was part of the Scottish Anti-Slavery Society. It's actually where Douglas worked as Scotland's anti-slavery agent during the mid-19th century. You see, in 1845, Douglas published Narrative of a Life of Frederick Douglass, an American Slave, where he recounted his time as a slave and his escape from slavery in 1838. The book, along with his work as an abolitionist, made him perhaps the most famous black man in America and also a target of fugitive slave laws. So... This led Douglas to board a steamship in 1845 and cross the Atlantic for Liverpool. From there, he headed to Ireland. Being out of the U.S. meant he could avoid fugitive slave laws, but Douglas's main purpose was to do a series of lectures denouncing slavery. His goal was to get people across the pond to see the immorality of slavery so they could put pressure on churches back in the U.S. I mean, from Dublin to Edinburgh to Cork, Limerick, Wexford, Waterford, Selbridge, Belfast, Lisburn, Hollywood, and Bangor. These are just a few of the places that Douglas visited on his tour. But perhaps his most rousing speech came in Paisley, which is a little over an hour away from Edinburgh. Douglas didn't even expect to speak that night. I mean, the room erupted with applause as soon as Douglas came forward. I mean, he had spoken in Paisley several times before, and the people absolutely loved him there. In fact, almost every other sentence from Douglas that evening was met with applause. And it was during this speech that Douglas stated that by accepting funds from slave-owning plantations in the United States, the Free Church of Scotland was responsible for slavery. There's a full transcript of his speech, and over and over, Douglas shouts, Send back the money! Send back the money! sometimes referring to it as bloodstained money. The phrase became a rallying cry for Douglas's campaign against the church. Even children were encouraged to paint the slogan in red paint on free churches across Scotland. Douglas spent around 19 months touring England and Europe, doing a lot of work to inspire activism to help end slavery. But his time overseas 
also helped secure his own freedom. Abolitionist supporters in England arranged to purchase Douglas's freedom from the slave owner in Maryland. And in 1846, Douglas returned to America as a free man. But Douglas apparently considered moving his family to Scotland. In a letter to a friend, he writes that Edinburgh, quote, is a beautiful city, the most beautiful I ever saw. He also writes about how he felt accepted and equal in Scotland. Quote, I enjoy everything here which may be enjoyed by those of a paler hue. No distinction here. Of course, Douglas knew he was needed back in the U.S. to keep fighting on the front lines of the abolition movement. But this mural here on Gilmore Street is a great tribute to his time in Scotland and his true connection to the Scottish people. Thank you to Jonathan and Michelle uh, for sharing those incredible stories. They're just two examples of the many thousands, tens of thousands of stories found in the Atlas Obscura database. If that caught your interest and you want to learn more about the beautiful gardens or amazing murals, go to atlasobscura.com and there is a link in the show notes. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes... Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was sound designed by Manolo Morales and mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. At Rural First, we're the leader in rural construction loans because we don't work here. We work out here. We live rural, which means we know just what you need to build rural. Our dedicated team of loan specialists works with you throughout the construction process. And with our digital tool, you can manage your project all in one place. That's how Rural First gets you closer to what matters. Rural First is a registered trademark of Farm Credit Mid-America, NMLS 407249, equal housing lender, loan subject to approval and eligibility. Other terms and conditions may apply. Visit RuralFirst.com for more details. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1 Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.